recently my wife came home from work and she had this um this little replica indie car it was you know just a little toy like matchbox size car um and it was a replica of charlie kimball's indie car and i thought oh you know charlie's a, a a guy who has type 1 diabetes and he's real prominent in the diabetes community you know maybe somebody's kid would like to have this car so i decided to give it away on my blog and i put a little giveaway together on ardensday.com and got this really huge response to you know this indie car and i thought wow god charlie's more popular than i thought he was I should probably try to get him on the podcast, and I did. I reached back out to Novo, and we were able to set up this conversation that Charlie and I had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Charlie is talking to me from Florida, where he was at the Friends for Life conference, and he wasn't able to give me quite an hour, so this interview is going to go about 40 minutes, but uh, we got to a lot, talked about Charlie's diagnosis, and you know when he was told he couldn't drive a car anymore, and how he got past that. It's just very interesting to hear how a guy does something like driving a race car at such high speeds. It's such an intense, it's such an intensity, you know, um, and how he manages his type one while he's doing it, how he lives his life. He's a super great guy. And uh, I had a really wonderful time talking to him. So, you know, thanks very much to Charlie for making the time. And thanks for, um, you know, thanks to Novo Nordisk for, for helping me set up this conversation. And uh, that's pretty much it. Just, you know, don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast is considered advice, medical or otherwise, and that you should always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. And uh, without further ado, I guess this is episode 25 of the Juice Box podcast, Charlie Kimball. Hello? Hey, Scott, it's Charlie Kimball here. Charlie, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Can Excellent. you hear me okay? Actually, I can hear you great. How about me? Yep, very clear. Excellent. I am banging around. My, I can hear my voice echoing around a little bit, but I'll be able to get that out in the post-production, so it's no problem. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Ah, my pleasure. My pleasure. We uh, we had a little technical difficulties this morning. I, I seem to have forgotten my Skype password, but other than that, uh, you're right on top of it. <laughs> I don't know that that's a technical difficulty, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was sitting here... 829 proud of myself for being all set up ahead of time and and getting the house in order and everything quiet and arden's dexcom uh, on my phone starts beeping i was like oh. so i i run upstairs and i'm giving her insulin she's sound asleep they um her softball team played their first district all-star game last night and they won but she was up really late so awesome i, I thought this was yeah i thought it was great oh thanks but I'm running upstairs and beeping. And I'm thinking he's probably calling right now while I'm. <laughs> no one will believe that I was ready and early. So uh... yeah, sure, sure enough, I uh, I understand that. I, I after spending some time at the Novo Nordisk booth uh, at the exhibit hall last night, I uh, stopped to grab some dinner and ordered food. And I was like, man, it's, it's I'm getting hungry. It's taking a long time. So I was like, oh, I'll just run to the restroom quickly and. And sure enough, as soon as I leave, food shows up. It never fails to get food to come on time. <laughs> it's the 2015 version of my dad in the 70s. My father would sit in a restaurant, and if the food was taking too long, he'd say, I'll just light a cigarette. That'll make it come. And uh, uh -huh. <laughs> sure exactly. enough. But anyway, so Charlie, listen, I only really try to do two things with these podcasts. I just want them to be conversational, and I don't prepare that much because I figure – 
anything that I could prepare to ask you, somebody's already asked you a thousand times. So um, I'm just looking to sit and chat with you and um, and do something interesting that I that I think people who are fans of yours who aren't involved with type one diabetes would enjoy, and and people who uh, you know do live their lives or have somebody they love with type one would also be interested in. So that's pretty much it. Sounds good to me. And uh, just to check, are are you doing video on the podcast or not? No, just audio. it's just audio. And if you cut the video, it'll probably help the bandwidth. So okay, let me do that then. There we go. Is that better? Perfect. It's perfect. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Um, okay, so my first thought is to introduce you, but I'll probably introduce you in post-production, so let's just jump right into it. Go <laughs> oh, for it. Excellent. So you're 30 years old, and you've had type 1 diabetes for a year less than my daughter, actually, I think. So are you about seven years into it? Were you diagnosed? Yep, just, yeah, seven and a half. My, uh, my diversary is actually October 16th of uh 2007 so i'm coming up on my eight year diversary um i was i was racing in europe and had spent quite a few years working my way towards working my way up the ladder in open wheeled motorsports in europe and when it, things kind of didn't go to plan that year that 2007 year i uh, was racing in the, the World Series by Renault, and, and my year started out pretty well, but through the summer I was making a lot of mistakes. Into the fall I was was kind of spinning a lot, making mistakes that weren't typical of me as a driver. I was crashing a lot. I, I was really quite frustrated, in fact. I didn't know what was going wrong, and um, I went into the doctor because I had a skin rash on my arm and gave me some cream to clear that up and asked if there was anything else going on in my health that uh, I wanted to ask him about. And my response being a typical 22 year old was, no, I'm 22. Right. Like what could go wrong being 22 years old? Um, and then I'd mentioned that I'd been kind of thirsty. I was drinking eight to 10 bottles of water a night and going to the bathroom all the time. And when he had me jump on his scales in his office, uh, I thought maybe something was, was wrong at that point because in just five days I'd lost 25 pounds. Wow, and you appear to be a tall guy, but are you? Uh, I'm about 5'10", 5'11", okay. which is on the taller side for a professional racing driver, mm -hmm. but um, I was always pretty lean. I, I was a f quite a bit light uh, on the lighter side, but as uh, as I, I went into that doctor's office and when I saw the that number on the scales, I thought, man, something must be wrong here. Yeah, just 25 pounds was a huge chunk of your body weight, and you probably never fluctuated that much in the past, I would imagine. Not at all, not at all. And and I remember looking in the mirror um, once I'd gotten on insulin and, and got my blood sugar down where I could think clearly. And um, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, man, I just look like skin and bones. I, I can't believe I didn't notice it. But a big part of it was that my blood sugar was so high right. um, that I was – not thinking clearly and and that uh that first day in the office he sent me to the diabetes specialty center um at the churchill hospital in oxford i was living in in england at the time yeah and uh when i went into that specialty center my dad was actually there with me because he'd come over for a race and so my dad was there with me and we went in there and i remember <laughs> There, there are a couple of things that 
I'm not particularly proud of uh, during my diagnosis. I, I'm happy to blame on the high blood sugar and not thinking clearly. Um, the first one was when the doctor said, oh, you have diabetes. I think you have diabetes. I went, great. What's that? You know, I, I had such limited knowledge of what it was and what sure. it meant. And and then the second one was the nurse came in to give me my first insulin injection and handed me a Novolog Flex Pen. And I said, what, do you want an autograph? Because I thought it was a Sharpie. Was it actually a pen? Right. She was looking uh, for autographs from race car drivers that crash a lot. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it, you know, it wasn't that I I crashed a lot. It was just I was crashing more than I I, I normally understand. would. And um, and I remember from that day, from October 16th, uh, I've been using the Novo Nordisk insulins, both the Levamir now and the Levamir Flex Touch, as well as the the Novolog Flex Pen. But the big part. For me, of of the partnership with Novo Nordisk is is using race again. If you'll pardon the pun here, but using racing as a vehicle to spread awareness for diabetes and mm-hmm. and share the message that that diabetes doesn't have to slow you down. With with the right management and the right tools, you can still live your dreams and chase your passions. Be that at 220 miles an hour at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the Indy 500 or wherever that is, on an NFL field or a major league baseball diamond or in a corporate boardroom, um, whatever that works out to be, uh, whatever your dream is, a big part of what I want to do is prove that you can achieve those goals. Yeah, I think that's why you're. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, first of all, because my podcast is listened to, I would say, largely by the parents of children who have type one diabetes, although there's, there's people who have type one who listen also, but it's, it's just a, you know, so much you see people think, Oh, like this has to limit something like it. And it makes sense to feel that way because there's a lot of fear in the beginning of, of diagnosis and things like that about, you know, low blood sugars, high blood sugars. Maybe I should be more careful. I could tell you that when my daughter Arden was first diagnosed, I had trouble leaving the house to go on a car ride. Like it just seemed scarier to be outside of the house. Um, you know, so when someone like you is doing what you're doing at such a high level and, you know, and at that speed and everything, and, and you don't have that fear, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm interested in, in telling people about, but I want to go backwards a little bit first. So I want you to know that when, when Arden was diagnosed, she was just two weeks after her second birthday. And even though she was only a person who weighed like 19 pounds, when I look back at photos now, and my blood sugar wasn't high when she was diagnosed, so I want you to feel a little better about that, I didn't notice the weight loss that she was going through either. I just thought, I don't even know what I thought. I guess it's the the passage of time and being around yourself or somebody all the time. You don't see things like that when they're happening, you know? So, um, okay, so you're, at 22, you, you're, you're in Europe and you're, you're, you know, you're going after a career in race car driving. At what age do you start doing something like that? Well, I grew up watching motorsports. My dad's a mechanical engineer and and designed race cars for years. So I always grew up watching racing. And then when I was nine, I got into go-karts and it was a way for he and I to spend some time together on the weekends. We'd work on the go-karts during the week. And I was always exposed and enjoyed the mechanical aspect of the go-karting okay uh, it was it was nice having that hands-on and and his experience i mean i only 
now, as you say, with a little time and perspective, do I truly understand how successful he was when people talk about his accomplishments and all, um, and now understanding the success he had as an engineer, it was pretty special to have a Formula One world champion engineer and an Indy 500 race winning car designer uh, running my go-karts for me. And <laughs> to me, he was just dad. But at the same time, we had that experience and we shared those experiences. And it was something my mom and sister would enjoy and come out to the racetrack and be involved with as well. And so we started in go-karts at nine. And for my 16th birthday, I got my first uh, drive in a formula car. And, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember the first 10 laps coming in and, and my dad said he could see my smile before I'd taken my helmet off. And with a full faced helmet and a dark visor, it was a pretty big grin, I think. Yeah. And I remember saying that's the most fun I'd ever had in my life. And my, my, my dad likes to call that day the beginning of the end. <laughs> and I, I invariably correct him and just call it the beginning of the rest of my life. How, how involved is your father still with us? Is everybody? It, yeah, absolutely. He, uh, so he's a farmer full-time in California. He and my mom uh, grow avocados out in California, and that's his his family heritage. Um, but at the same time, he still does some engineering work for a couple consultant groups um, and then is my manager. So he's very involved day-to-day. -day. We stay uh, – we keep in touch, and, and I think we do a pretty good job of – when I need to talk to my dad, I call call and say, hey, dad, rather than, hey, Mr. Manager, um, because the the personal business relationship with family can always be challenging. But uh, it, to me, it, it's great having him involved, even my mom and my sister now works in Europe, lives and works in Europe and works in motorsports as well. So it's I guess you could say it's it's kind of in our blood. So that brings up two two interesting thoughts for me. So when. First of all, with his background, how you grew up, do you feel like you have a different or more thorough understanding of your vehicle because of how you grew up? Or do you think that everybody that drives has that understanding at this point? Well, I think my perspective is that uh, having grown up with an engineer as a father and communicating with an engineer, I'd say that I speak engineer a little better. Mm -hmm. uh, and my uh, my relationship with my engineer he can always go to my dad and talk engineer to engineer and have a perspective on what I'm doing and, and how I got to where I am. I gotcha. And at the same time, when I'm trying to tell him what the car is doing and we have limited time left in the session and really focus on what's important, I feel like I'm a little better prepared because of those years of communication uh, with my dad for sure. Cool. Um, and at the same time, you know, I if I hadn't gone to Europe to race cars full time, uh, my plan was to go to college. As as my mom said, go to college, get a degree, and get a real job one day. Um, <laughs> but it would would have been in the engineering department. So the plan was to to stay involved in racing, if not as a driver, then definitely as a designer. That's excellent. And so I guess in the same but different vein. You're diagnosed with type one when you're 22, you're an adult already, but did your family then have involvement with helping you with type one diabetes or did you take it by yourself on your own? And if they were involved, then are they still involved now? Well, I think diabetes is not something you can do by yourself. Right. Um, you know, as much as racing is a team sport, diabetes management is a team sport as well. You, you have to take 
that mentality. At least I, I believe I do a better job with my management with a stronger team. And it's not just, it's not just my race team supporting me, but it, it's the, my partnership team, it's Novo Nordisk, it's my healthcare group, it's my, my doctor and my diabetes educator, it's my friends and especially my family, yeah. um, my now wife, all of those people, they understand that, that I, I live with the challenge of diabetes every moment of every day. And have- it, when I'm at the racetrack, People see me as a racing driver first, hopefully, and, and somebody with diabetes second. And, and to be able to to have a moment at home where I can vent and I can be frustrated that my numbers aren't doing what I want them to and be surprised that even though I didn't make good nutritional choices and haven't worked out like I should, my numbers are still behaving. You know, those, those moments are really when the family and, and the friends, the support team uh, come into their own. And, and, you know, even then, as an adult, I think my perspective was a little different than most diagnosis in that I'd fallen in love with racing and I wasn't going to let something like getting diagnosed with diabetes get in the way of my dream Yeah. Um, because I'd, I, I never thought that door was closed because I'd always believed I'd be a professional racing driver, always worked towards that goal. And so getting diagnosed was, if again, if you'll pardon the bad driving references here, but getting diagnosed was a speed bump, not a roadblock. Yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, I'm just driving to my daughter's softball game yesterday with her, and um, she's hit a bit of a, a, a slump where I think she's not making as much contact with the ball as she wants to. And in the end, I, I ran out of advice, and I just told her, I said, look, softball or life, you'll see as you get older – many times you kind of get what you expect and you know to not change your expectation is a huge part of how you get where you're going um it it just really i think is true but i need to go back for a second because you said something slightly differently that i felt made such a big difference you were talking about your blood sugar values and, and where your numbers were and you just you spoke about them almost just slightly different than everybody else you said that they're not behaving the way you want them to but <laughs> yeah I, that's fantastic because I think everyone else, well, a lot of people talk about those numbers like they're in control of them and doing something wrong when they're not where they need to be. And and that's so not the, the situation most times. It's just such a healthy outlook to, to say that, you know, I did everything right and then they didn't do something right. I, that was fantastic. So I uh, yeah, I, I often refer to my diabetes as as its own person. Um, it, it has a personality all of its own and I have a strong influence over it, but it doesn't mean I can totally, uh, completely control everything right. because, and as an engineer's son and, and a racing driver that works mechanically, uh, all the time, it frustrates me a lot of times to not know exactly what I'm doing and being in exact control. Um, in, in racing, there are a lot of things you can't control. You can't control the weather. You can't control the wind direction. You can't control if somebody runs into you. Um, and so I think as one of the perspectives that has helped me as a driver is understanding the difference between performance and result. Um, and when you talked about your daughter playing softball, when, you know, when you step into the batter's box and you expect to drive the ball out of the park and yet you face a pitcher who's who's throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs and you can't even see it i mean that's not 
in your control to hit that ball at that point. Right. Um, and so the, uh, that perspective of, of having diabetes be a unique and individual entity. Yeah, I've got a lot of control over it, but sometimes, sometimes I don't. And sometimes I just have to roll with it. And, and, and I try and do a better job of not judging myself on if things aren't quite right, right, you know, just try and learn from it. And my dad has always said, my parents even, both of them, have always said that if, if you make a mistake but you learn from it, then it's valuable. Yeah, it, um, and and that's so true in diabetes management as well. Yeah, it's process over outcome. Like if you're doing, if you're taking the right steps and doing the right thing, then more times than not, you get the outcome you're looking for. But when you don't get the outcome you're looking for, you don't run back and change the process right away. You just, yeah, you, you say to yourself, like you know, listen, there's always a real world example with diabetes. I was up at five o'clock in the morning last night because I tried to bump Arden's blood sugar from 150 down to 120 by giving her, and this will sound ridiculous to an, an adult listening, but 0. 0.30 units of insulin. And, yeah. and, and, and two hours after I gave her that 0. 0.30, the 150 was 42 and it was diagonal down on her Dexcom CGM. And even a juice box wasn't stopping it. So I finally got it stopped by re, um, restricting her basal rate for a little bit on her pump. And now she's 170, and it feels like I could give her 20 times that insulin, and the 170 is not going to move. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. Um, so, so are you using a, t a continuous glucose monitor by any chance? So in the car, I do wear a continuous glucose monitor. It's actually integrated to uh, the car's electronics. So on my dash, I have speed, lap time, oil pressure, blood sugar, water temperature, gear, quite literally my car and my body data right there together. Yeah. Um, now, most of my race day diabetes management, um, which is extremely critical, as you can imagine, starts from the moment I get up in the morning. Yeah. You know, taking my Levomir dose with the, the Flex Touch device, managing my nutrition, bolusing with my Novolog Flex Pen for that, managing my hydration, coupling that with my race day preparation. So putting my fire suit on, the driver's meeting, autograph sessions, driver introductions, all of the normal racing driver stuff mm -hmm. coupled with my insulin doses and, and getting my blood sugar where I want them and getting the nutrition that, that I need to be able to focus on having fueled myself just like my mechanics fuel the race car. Uh, so when I get in the car, ideally that CGM is kind of a backup plan. It's there to so I can keep track of my blood sugars, but I know that when I get in the car, I'm good to go from green flag to checkered because, frankly, there are no timeouts in, right. in racing. I can't check my blood sugar between innings. I can't get a snack at halftime. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where do you like your, your blood sugar when the race starts? For me, I, I aim to start between 150 and 175 okay. because that gives me – a range to climb before I see any focus or concentration issues. Right. Um, and it also gives me a range to, to fall. I don't like to be any lower than 120 in the car yeah. because that uh, that keeps me safe and keeps things uh, on track, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you notice, where do you notice impairment? I, I see Arden, um, her foot speed slows down over 200. Do you? 
I see concentration and vision issues um, or, or a slowing of that, um, anything over about 225 or, okay. or even up to 240. Mm-hmm. Um, but ideally, you know, if I can keep it under 200 and above 120, that's kind of a, a really happy range for me. Um, now, driving an IndyCar is fairly physical. I mean, yeah. we have 650 horsepower, over 5,000 pounds of downforce, and no power steering, and no power brakes. So a 500-mile race with 32 other cars at that, uh, that level of, of speed and commitment is, is physical. Uh, so I'm more conscious of my blood sugar burning off during the course of a race rather than, than kind of climbing out of control. Uh, so most drivers have a drink bottle in the car full of water. Uh, that way they can stay hydrated throughout the race. Yeah. And um, it's usually just kind of a, a drink tube into the helmet. Why? Well, I, I actually have two drink bottles, one of water for hydration and a second one full of orange juice. That way, if my blood sugar burns off and gets lower than I like it to be for that point of the race, there's a valve on my seatbelt I can flip and and switch from water to orange juice, sip some orange juice, bring my blood sugar up, and I don't have to stop. Hey, I just wanted to let you know there's a couple of races coming up that Charlie's involved in. In August of 2015, um, there are three. On August 2nd, the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course is going to be shown nationally at 1.30 p.m. on CNBC. Charlie will be racing at Pocono Raceway on August 23rd. That's 2 p.m. on the NBC Sports Network. And on August 30th at Sonoma Raceway, Charlie will be racing at 4 p.m. on the NBC Sports Network. So if you want to watch Charlie ply his craft and fly around like a lunatic in a really fast car, um, this is where you're going to do it. August 2nd. 1.30 on CNBC, August 23rd, 2 p.m. on NBC Sports Network, and August 30th, Sonoma Raceway, 4 p.m. NBC Sports Network. I will put a um, a schedule in the blog. You go to ArdenStay.com or Juicebox Podcast. So hydration is obviously a huge issue just with insulin working, keeping insulin working well, but I'm guessing as I'm talking to you, it's pretty warm in that car. It it is with... uh... You know, a fireproof Nomex shirt and a three-layer fireproof suit and, you know, a helmet, gloves. And, okay, while being a convertible, I, I, I have an open top, so I get a bit of a breeze through the cockpit. We don't have air conditioning. Right. Um, so it, it's not uncommon to lose 5, 10, even up to 15 pounds in body weight I'm during sorry. a long, hot race. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Wow, that's so. I didn't realize about the I, of all the things you just said. The no power steering just got me more than anything. <laughs> so you're wrestling with that car for the entire race, basically. Like, like, I, I mean, not that it's not a finely tuned machine. It, it wants to go where you want it to go, but there's no letting down as far as your upper body strength goes, and, and your and your your steering. You are constantly steering the car. Absolutely, it's a it's a full time job. You know, you have to be fully committed to driving the race car every time you leave pit lane. That's okay. part of that's part of what makes it challenging, and part of for me what makes it fun. The the time I spend in the gym is is really valuable. Um, I I definitely see myself as an athlete, and not just the mental and and uh, emotional commitment to it but the physical aspect as, as well being a a an athlete that trains during the off season you know five days a week twice a day 
uh, everything from cardiovascular to strength training to reaction training and and core work. Some of the the workouts we do to try and replicate what we see in the race car are uh, a lot of a lot of people just shake their head at. Yeah. Um, and yet, because we can't drive a race car and get that training in, you have to come up with ways to try and replicate what your body goes through when it sees three to four G's laterally and vertically, and and you're holding on to this. 1500 pound race car yeah. with 650 screaming horses under it yeah that's insane it really is um so your cgm that are you the only one that can see it or is it a cloud-based system can other people see it too well one of the the cool things about the the glucose monitor being integrated with the car's data system is that just like the the car's data that gets transmitted back to pit lane uh, my CGM number gets transmitted back to pit lane as well. So um, my engineer and the, the team that are keeping an eye, hold on a second, let me get loud here. Um, the, the team that are keeping an eye on, on my car system are able to uh, keep track of my blood sugar, just like they keep track of fuel level and, and oil pressure and make sure that the, uh, the car has fuel in the tank and air in the tires and make sure that my body has fuel in the tank as well. That's excellent. Um, what was that noise? That was interesting. Sorry. Uh, no, no. We're, it, there was a little bit of landscaping going on here at Children <laughs> with Diabetes uh, and, just outside the uh, the conference center. So we should tell people. So you are in Orlando right now at the um, Children with Diabetes Friends for Life. Absolutely. And it, it's it's a great conference. It's one of my, my favorite events uh, to come to throughout the year. I, as you can imagine, I do a few speaking engagements with Novo Nordisk and, and the whole Race with Insulin program. Right. And uh, Friends for Life is always one of the highlights for me personally because it's this great melding of adults and kids and industry and patients and healthcare and Personally, I believe the diabetes community is one of the strongest in the world. There are great people that work within it and work for it and work around it and are members of it. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about Children with Diabetes Friends for Life Conference is that all of those different elements come together. Yeah. And it, just walking the hall yesterday when I got here and hearing the different uh, you know, attendees that – that have been coming for five years and met each other five years ago and are from opposite corners of the country, but are fast friends and look forward to seeing each other every year. And then when they go home throughout the rest of the year, they write each other and they tweet each other and they Facebook each other and, and are all integrated, but they get here and it's like they never left. Um, and it just, it put a really big smile on my face and I thought, how neat is it for people who spend so much of their life being different um, and and being in a minority to come here and be normal. Not have that uh, feeling. All of the attendees that that have diabetes and, and have green bracelets versus the, the people without diabetes who are, are supporting them and have orange bracelets. It's it's spectacular to have that that connection and to share share that time with each other um, and and you know, build those relationships and, and ask questions. And, and pretty soon you realize that you're a part of this really great community and this really cool group. Yeah. So I don't think it was more than a half an hour into my daughter's first JDRF walk when I thought, wow, everyone here 
has or loves somebody who has type one diabetes, and then suddenly it just it feels like you're in a like a it's like a hug. It feels amazing. It it feels yeah. it feels great to know that everyone understands. Um, you know, it's funny when you talked about the community being so strong. I at one point I used to think. How is it possible that only really fantastic people get type 1 diabetes? But it, it, I think, moreover, I think living with chronic illness in general and maybe diabetes specifically gives you such a, a perspective on life and on your body and how it works that I sometimes tell people that I feel like I have a perspective on the world that I don't deserve yet at my age. And you, you, know, you know what I mean? Like when something goes wrong you know quote unquote wrong that other people would think like oh something happened in my day that wasn't perfectly positive i look at those things and just think well that's not a problem like i'll just do this this and this and that'll be gone and we'll move on to the next thing i think i'm so accustomed to the idea that arden's blood sugar might randomly go to 42 at five o'clock in the morning that that not a lot else affects me the way it used to and um i i think it's just a community of people who understand that about life and then very, very unselfishly want to share what they understand with other people, maybe the people behind them, maybe they're at a different part in the diabetes wave and they don't want the people coming up from behind them to have to struggle with something that unnecessarily, if they could share something they know with them, then then why not share it and, and let somebody else's day be a little easier? And that's how the, the advocacy, I think, builds. Um, I guess I'm... I said all that to ask you, do you think that having type one has informed your personal life in, in ways that you can feel? I think it, having diabetes has, has helped not only my personal life, but my professional life as well. I think as a, as somebody who faces the challenge of diabetes and overcomes it to do what I love, I believe I'm a better athlete because of diabetes rather than despite it. You talk about listening to your body and and having that perspective and it's something better for me than than I've ever had before you know I'm I'm now 30 and and I don't know any well, I don't know many other people in their 20s who proactively get their eyes checked every year and get their teeth cleaned all the time and if they're not feeling well they go to the doctor and figure out if it's diabetes related or another illness or whatever it may be um and so that perspective in, in racing has helped me, especially uh, personally, and having that perspective of, of overcoming challenges. And, and when things come up that you don't expect, you, you you don't get flustered by them. You just deal with them and move on. And and as I said, I think that, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, that, that the best piece is that you can still do what you want in life. You can still chase your dreams. And for me, getting to do what I love and drive race cars and at the same time, share my message with Novo Nordisk that you can still do that with diabetes is, is extremely fulfilling. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I don't want to say preach, but I, on my blog in here, I talk a lot about the diabetes and fear don't have to go together. Um, and, and I want very badly for people to hear that message is why I reach out to people like you. I have a couple of quick questions here at the end. I have to ask you because we've talked about it so much, but I'm not, a, I'm not enough of a race aficionado to know how fast is that car going? Well, we'll see at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in, in qualifying usually for the Indy 500, we'll see a top speed of about 235 miles an hour. Um, now, for perspective, because that's a really big number, 
at 225 miles an hour, you go 100 yards, so the length of a football field, end zone to end zone, every second. That's insane. I one time in my very early 20s on a very early morning on a long stretch of road looked down at my GSXR 750 and thought, I wonder if this thing really goes 160. And when I got it to 160, I backed it down very slowly and never wondered again if it went that fast. Uh, because that's a speed I don't think people can... I couldn't focus maybe more than a mile ahead of me. Everything else was just blurred going by. You do have to stay pretty committed and pretty pretty focused and uh, look a long ways up the road, it's, that's for sure. It's crazy. And, and quickly, um, a woman named Stacy who reads my blog asked me to ask you that if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, man. One superpower. You don't need to fly because I think you're doing that already. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody asked me the difference between uh, <laughs> between what, what I race and NASCAR, and, and I, I say this very tongue-in-cheek because I have a lot of respect for NASCAR drivers, but in NASCAR, they race taxi cabs. In IndyCar, we race fighter jets on the ground. <laughs> um, so I, I think if I wasn't a racing driver, I'd be a fighter pilot. Um, but having said that, as far as superpower – I don't know. It'd be really nice to uh, to go around and be able to uh, fix people's pancreases because I think uh, I've met, as we said, the diabetes community is spectacular and there are so many incredible people that I think maybe because of the challenge they face with diabetes do incredible things, but maybe if they didn't have that challenge, they'd be doing even more incredible things for, for the world today. And so giving them that opportunity would be very special. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to break free. I, I thought last night for a split second Arden's blood sugar was a little low as she was heading in the shower. And I said, why don't you just get in without your insulin pump on? And I don't feel like this very often, but as she walked away from me, I, I really felt disheartened that she, you know, she couldn't just leave it off, you know. So, right. um, so Charlie, uh, where are you at in your race season? Well, we are uh, close to the end. We're about two-thirds of the way through. We have five races left. Uh, we race this weekend in Milwaukee. Um, we have races in Iowa, in mid-Ohio, in the Poconos, and then Sonoma out in California for our finale left. And sitting 11th in points and hoping to to knock into the top 10 before the end of the year. And uh, I think it'll be, it'll be a pretty good season for the number 83 Novo Nordisk Chip Ganassi Racing Team. Um, we... From the Indianapolis 500 through to the, the last race in Fontana ran the green and blue Levemir Flex Touch car. And now we're going back to the orange and blue, uh, very distinctive Novolog Flex Pen car that we ran at the beginning of the year. And we'll, we'll run for the last third of the season here. So it'll be nice to be back in the orange and blue. And hopefully we can uh, move on and or use the the result of third from the Indianapolis 500 is a springboard to get into victory lane before the end of 2015. That's cool. Well, I will include a link so that people can find your races um, when and if they're televised and, and people can cheer you on from home. And I hope you have a fantastic time the rest of your time at, uh, at Children with Diabetes. And please just, you know, give everybody a hug for me when you see them because I, I can't, I, if once Arden softball season stops happening right over top of Friends for Life, I, I plan on going immediately. So um, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited that you were able to come uh, and do the show for a little bit. So um, I thanks so much for taking the time. 
My pleasure, Scott. And uh, if people want to keep up to speed with me throughout the year, they can follow me on Twitter at Race with Insulin um, or go to my Facebook page, um, which is Charlie Kimball or charliekimball.com. There are uh, the race schedule as well as television uh, timings and that sort of thing kept up as well as I live blog throughout the race weekend so people can kind of get a behind the scenes look at what an IndyCar race weekend looks like. Oh, that's excellent. I can send you an embeddable link where they could listen to this right in Facebook too. So I'll, I'll when we're done, I'll, I'll get everything over to you and you can do what you want to do with it. Marvelous. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Charlie, thanks again. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Next week in episode 26, Olympic skier, four-time Olympian, Chris Freeman and I sit down and talk about type 1 diabetes and lots of stuff, actually. You have to come back. Subscribe wherever podcasts are disseminated to not miss an episode. That's pretty much it, folks. See you later.